Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. <laughs> oh, that was wonderful, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about awesome. Solo, a Star Wars story going back to a galaxy far, far, far away, and kind of uh, some some time ago, an indeterminate amount of time ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this will be full spoilers for Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, I'm Sam Wilson, joining us as always. Zach Schneider. I'm Troy Hensley. We're also joined by a very special guest today. Hey guys, this is Robin, Robin Summer. I am the host of the Movie Addicts podcast, and I'm excited to be here. Awesome. How's everybody doing today? Are we doing, we doing good? Zach, how are you doing? I'm plagued by gremlins, but other than that, doing pretty good. <laughs> all, right. all right so many so many of those gremlins how about you troy you you experiencing any gremlins on your ranch no gremlins but i got to audition for a serial killer Ooh. named creepy harv today and uh three other voiceovers so uh, voiceover auditions so nice uh, and I'm finishing up my my erotica uh, audio book that I'm being paid to do. So awesome! <laughs> Who knew they wanted this to read audio uh, to <laughs> erotica? <laughs> you do have a face for audio for your <laughs> <laughs> Robin, how are you doing? Doing all right. A little bit of gremlins over here, but nothing too bad. I feel you. I've been good. Like, I feel like this past weekend, you know, just made me maybe kind of a weird head, like not a bad headspace, but kind of a weird headspace, you know, some, mm-hmm. some things happening, but like, but like, I've been, I've been good. I've been, I've been having a good time, been doing some songwriting. So I'm excited to get into uh, some solo Star Wars story. Uh, we're going to skip the pre-show. I know that there's been some like minor news things, but there has like, I, uh, Loki came out this week. I haven't got a chance to see it yet, so I can't really talk about it yet. But we're just gonna, I think we're just gonna slide on into the movie if you guys are cool with that. Again, full spoilers for Solo, a Star Wars story. Let's talk about the characters first. We'll talk about uh, Solo himself, played by not Harrison Ford, but Alden Ehrenreich. What do we think about Alden's uh, Han Solo? Why don't you, Zach, why don't you start? What do you think of Alden Ehrenreich's Han Solo? So Harrison Ford's Han Solo performance is one of the most iconic characters in movie history like bar none so when i was going to this i was worried it's like how are you really going to recapture that alden ehrenreich is not harrison ford but literally two minutes into watching the movie he was han solo for me i immediately bought him as han solo and i think that he absolutely has that charm he's a younger version of han obviously um a little more bright-eyed but he has that swagger. He has the, you know, cockiness. He, he definitely is the type of guy who is willing to jump into a situation before thinking about it, which is 110% Han. So yeah, I, I immediately bought him as Han, and I thought that he absolutely embodied the character 100% throughout this whole movie. So I'll give him credit that there are several moments where... He did, like, a gesture, like, a way he pointed, like, a smirky facial expression. That's, like, that's Harrison Ford. Like, he's clearly done his research. Like, he embodied him physically. My problem is I don't feel like he really, for me, embodied him emotionally. Like, I guess Han Solo, in my opinion, is probably one of the most defined personalities 
in Star Wars, like I feel like a lo- at least in terms of the movies, like maybe C three PO two, like he's a cocky asshole, he's smug, smarmy, thief with a heart of gold. I didn't feel like Alden really gave me any of that. He just kind of felt a little bland. Like I give him credit for being able to copy the mannerisms of Harrison Ford very well, but I don't feel like he captured the spirit of Han Solo for me. I disagree. I I think that uh, he went in fully prepared and he immersed himself as Han Solo. I I felt like you, Zach. I was like, I was going into this movie and I was like, this son of a bitch is going to mess this movie up for me. God damn it. But I sat down and just a few minutes in, his eyes, the way his eyebrows would move. And then I felt like he was cocky, especially with the with the piloting thing. Mm-hmm. He was all about, every time they would say something, he would go, uh, for example, we need a hell of a pilot and a fast ship. Well, you got the pilot, <laughs> you know, and and I would just like to put this out there. They say that uh, you have to put the things you want out there in the universe. So I would like to say that um, I can't pronounce Alden's last name. <laughs> But he would not be the first person that I slept with that I can't pronounce the name of. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good. Good. Yes. One day. He will be mine. Oh, yes. He will be mine. I know, Robin, a lot of people feel the way that you do that. And, and, and I, I know, that I completely understand this thing that, like, I think Harrison Ford is overall untouchable like honestly when mm-hmm. whenever i think of the character of han solo i'm gonna think of harrison ford first because mm-hmm. he's the guy he originated the role he's played the role more times and he's just more way more cemented in my mind but i i also gotta admit that when i watched this movie i i completely agree with you zach like two minutes into the movie he just become like i forget that he's not harrison ford and he just becomes han to me like he's, I'm never gonna mistake him for Han or for Harrison. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. particularly. I mean, there's a vague resemblance to Harrison Ford, but like he doesn't look or sound that much like Harrison Ford. But like he does feel like Han, and I think that the energy is there. And I agree. Like I, it, it never felt like a bad imitation to me. Like he, he, he got a lot of the mannerisms down, but he also like captured the essence of what you could imagine a younger Han being. Mm-hmm. That this is this is Han who is. When we come in the beginning of this movie, he is a bit younger, he's a little more naive, he's a hopeless romantic, which Han, I mean, Han ultimately has the the Leia relationship, but, like, he's very kind of anti, like, you know, very much not the romantic personality type, particularly when we first meet him in A New Hope. And, uh, and I, I, I like the fact that, you know, we see him when he's, when he is younger and he is a bit more naive, but we see him become more and more the Han that we, that we know and love from A New Hope and then going forward into the rest of the movies. But there are certain things that are just, that are there from the beginning. That cockiness, that swagger is always there and it always was there. And I, I, I really do think that he was a great Han. Um, what do you guys think of the fact that apparently his last name is not actually Solo and some Imperial rando just called him, oh yes, Han Solo. What do you guys think of that? Because I know that there's there's thoughts on that that a lot of people have. My main thought on that is that 
Oh, it slightly does take away from it, not for the reason that other people think, not because I think there should be this big solo clan out there, but just because I always thought that Han also wasn't his name and that he literally called himself Han Solo because that was the coolest name he could come up with when he was younger. So it does it does take away a little bit that realizing that Han didn't just call himself Han Solo, you know, to try and make himself seem like a big time, you know, cool pilot. It's like, hi, I'm Han Solo. He was separated from Kira for two years and had to become Han Solo, so that was where that name came from. <laughs> Solo was all he was doing for a while. Uh. <laughs> it was an odd choice. Like I was was there an outcry for the backstory of his last name, like that I was unaware of? But like, I mean, compared to my other problems with the film, it's very minuscule personally. It's like one of those moments because there's several moments that feel really like, because I know that Lord and Miller from the Lego movie were originally directing. It feels like moments from like a comedy. Like it doesn't feel to me like a comedic moment in a serious movie. It feels like a comedy scene from a comedy movie, if that makes sense. No, I, I see where you're coming from with that. At first I had a problem with it. I thought, eh, you know, he should have, he should have been fast on his feet and he should have thought of it. And I think that would have, I think that would have been better. Uh, I do like that. I do like that he was given the name. Um, I thought it was cute. Uh, that's how I feel about the whole movie. There's a lot of cute moments that you can see Ron Howard shine through. And this is one of those. From Willow all the way through, anything Ron Howard does, I just... I just slobber all over. Um, and I, and it's a moment that is, <laughs> it's a moment that, that is Ron Howard. It's cute. It's that Opie Taylor, small town kind of thing. And he just thinks, all right, you're by yourself. Solo it is. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm in the middle on it, but probably leaning towards Troy. I'm probably leaning towards your, your end of the spectrum where like, I, the when I first saw the movie, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, I don't even know if I don't like it. I'm like, this is, this, this is, this is weird. I do. I agree with you, Robin, in the sense that I just don't think that the origin of Han's last name was something that I think a lot of people were like, Oh, how did he become? It's like, he's just, he could just be Han Solo. Like who cares? Like, but at the same time, like the, I, I grow more and more okay with the actual moment uh, every 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 time I watch the movie. I, I grow more and more okay with the actual moment. It, it doesn't it doesn't bother me, but it's you know it's yeah. It, I'm I'm not in love with it, but it's fine. Is is kind of my my overall thing. Like what's next? A prequel film where we see like Anakin's grandfather like walking in the sky, and they're like, "What a Skywalker!" <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I mean that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Anakin doesn't have a grandfather because he was the actually. You know, I guess should, should be probably. He's got one dad, grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, that's true. Anakin doesn't have a dad. Um, Unless you count well, Palpatine. Well, maybe it's... He does. It's Sheev. It's Sheev. I, I don't personally think it's it Sheev is, and Plagueis. That's, that's, I get, that's, it's that's Sheev an and Plagueis. That's an argument he had two daddies. I think it's Palpatine, uh, too. My, it was a forced gangbang. My honest opinion is that it's, if it's not in the movie, then it's not real. You know, that's that's my honest But thing. it's, it's a forced gangbang. Like, they do kind of imply. Sad, though. <laughs> it is. It is. Right. During, right, the, during the opera, right, he's like, start, I'm your You're daddy. starting to gang up on me, Zach. I, I, all right. It's cool. Look, I, okay. I, I'm kind of with Sam on this one. It's like, you know what? You can imply it all you want. If you don't, like, imply it well, if you don't imply it enough that, like, most of the audience picks up on it, it's not, yeah. 
I mean, fair. Might as well. I, I yeah. think personally, I think George Lucas was trying to do this Jesus metaphor, and like I, that yeah. was that's what I personally think. No, but it's it's no. It is, Palpatine, yeah. Palpatine tells how he kills Padme, and no, he, he tells doesn't. him that I'm your daddy boy. He, <laughs> he does. Okay. It is all foreshadowed. It is all no. foreshadowed. You're really great at seeing patterns where no patterns actually exist. You have a talent for that. I, I'm good at analyzing lines. <laughs> That's my job. Can I make a comment about Han Solo in this? I think part of my problem might not be Alden unpronounceable last name's performance as much as how the film wrote him, in my opinion, just because I feel like he didn't really have the arc I feel like Han Solo was supposed to have because how I view Han Solo in A New Hope is he's a selfish, scoundrel kind of asshole who doesn't care about other people and comes to he- comes back and saves Luke's life because he changed. But this movie establishes that he's a good guy from the beginning. And I didn't really ever get a sense that he became the jaded, kind of bitter, kind of like Beckett really was, that kind of person. I don't feel like he ever became that. And so I feel like there's the example when Kira, is that her name? I can't want to call her Daenerys. Um, when she's like, she's like, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're the good guy. He's like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, yes, you are, because you've done pretty much exclusively neutral or good things throughout this movie. I actually agree. I think that whenever he, whenever he decides to uh, give up on that first mission, and he's not ruthless about it, that's not Han Solo. I think that he would have been really ruthless. Growing up on the streets, that's actually one of my pet peeves about it, is that he's not ruthless enough in the beginning. I feel that the point of this movie, and maybe it might not have been effective for you guys, but like I think it worked for me, was that he at, at his core he is a good guy, and we do see that, that resurfacing in the original trilogy. But like we see him kind of learning both the right and the wrong lessons from Beckett that, you know, of of being able to, to, to learn to survive, you know, like he ends up shooting. He has this kind of famous shoot first thing, which which does Han does definitely shoot first in this movie. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He stretches his neck like this. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, it's like those those edits just got re- re- increasingly what, what ridiculous. The they, like, they shoot Greedo at the same thing. time. No, Greedo says McClunky <laughs> before he shoots him. That, that's the last latest thing. McClunky, what? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Don't they like shoot at the same time now? I feel like in the Disney Plus version, they, it's, it's like... pretty close to being at the same time at this point. But it still has the thing of like, how did Greedo miss like yeah. two feet yes. away? Like what? <laughs> it's like Han is like, oh, oh my god, John. Han, Han is Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> oh my god, Greedo's a stormtrooper confirmed. <laughs> yes, exactly. You no, know, Greedo's got Greedo's got these bug eyes. He's seeing like fifty Hans. It's like I don't know which one to shoot. <laughs> so. This, this is kind of veering more into A New Hope, and we, we can discuss A New Hope, but I, I do want to say that I think that um, my opinion of where Han is in A New Hope might be a little different from all y'all's, because I got the impression in A New Hope that he is, he is not the most selfless guy in the world, obviously. Um, he doesn't want to risk himself without money, but... This is also a Han who has been in a specific tight spot for a while. Jabba is out for him. He wants money, and he is literally sending bounty hunters out to kill him over the events of the film. Greedo is literally 
one of many bounty hunters out for Han's head. It's probably not the first one either. So this is Han in a very tough spot in his life. Um, he's gone through the events of Solo. He's gotten a little jaded from that, jaded from the you know, death mark from Java, and also jaded from whatever event caused everything to go wrong that, you know, had him get the death mark in the first place. So, I think that that movie actually, I think that A New Hope does actually show that Han actually does have generally selfless opinions, and even Chewie seems to know that Han, you know, wants to make better decisions, but Han kind of feels like he has to be, you know, a little more selfish, has to be looking out for number one. Partially because of it's like, ah, oh, well, look where being selfless has got me. And in the end, he still can't resist coming back and saving Luke and being the good guy. So I I'd think that, that having him be this good early on, that's not a problem. Because the end of this movie is still not everything in between now and A New Hope. And I think it's perfectly fine to show that at his core, Han really is a good guy. Um, again, I agree with you, Sam, that he maybe took a couple of the right lessons and wrong lessons from Beckett. Beckett is very much like a path that Han would go down if he didn't go back to save Luke. I think that would be his path without Chewbacca. Yeah. Well, and I think that it can't be uh, understated as well, the the effect that uh, Kira leaving probably also had on Han, because Kira was his motivation this entire movie, get back to Kira. And when mm -hmm. Kira just... Says, oh, hey, go on, I'm right behind you. Then she takes off, and Han doesn't even know why. It's like, I imagine that would also give him abandonment issues and also just, just put him down a bit, a bit of a darker and more, more jaded path as well. So I, I, I see where all of you are coming from, actually. I think that the, the truth is in the middle somewhere. I think with the ending with Kira, we understand why he's not interested in a relationship until he falls for Leia. And I like that idea. I really do. I, I did not want to like those, this love story. I was like, why the fuck did they put him in a love story? And I fell for the story. Uh, I thought that it was well written. Yeah, it actually does make sense. And the way that he gets his heart broken at the end, I was like, oh, that's pretty good. I would like to see more. I would like to see more. The idea of her going and apprenticing under Maul. And we see the foreshadowing of how ruthless she is in the beginning. Mm -hmm. just with the way she kind of slips in with Han and she doesn't tell him what's coming. Uh, when she does find out that he's that he's there, that her boss is going to kill his boss, and she doesn't tell him, and she just kind of goes along for the ride, that lets you know right then and there how, how willing she is to do whatever she has to do to get to the top. I like the way that, what's her name? I can't remember her real name. I just want to call her Daenerys. Uh, Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark. There we go. I love the way that she played her. I loved that she was the girl next door until you got too close and then she cut your throat. You know, quite literally for some people. <laughs> yeah. I very much like that um, for much of the movie, we see her through Han's eyes, um, especially when she, we reunite with him. Like, she has a lot of these playful moments um, when she reunites with Han, when she talks to him, when she, you know, goes in the Falcon and immediately starts, you know, sneaking into Lando's cave closet. And 
the way she talks and especially how she acts, especially around Dryden, kind of shows us that she has not acted like this for a long time. Her experience getting off Corellia was about as opposite from Hans as it was. She went the hard way, the way where she had to do pretty terrible things um, to get through. Cut, the, cut a few throats, um, stomped on more than a few fingers, and probably cut out a few tongues just to survive. Yeah, I, I do like that her mentality is very different from Han's, where Han just wants to win, be the good guy, go on daring adventures, and she, you know, she directly states she's just trying to survive, and in her mind, the way you survive is by being on top. You know, doing everything you can to get ahead. And I do like that being with Han um, brings out, you know, that older side of her, you know, that, you know, that kind of romanticism side. Because, you know, Han is a very romantic character. Not just, you know, in the literal sense of they're having a romance, but he's got romance in his heart. Or at least he did at the start of this movie. And he brings that, a little bit of that back to her. But in the end, yeah, I, I do love that she does choose... Um, to follow the you know same path that she's been on all this time that she that she's in a trap of someone of her own making at this point. But yeah, so I I love the way Amelia Clark played her. Um, yeah, she's a really dynamic character, and I do you know I mentioned before that even if there's not a solo two, I really do want to see where her story goes, where her story with Maul goes, especially because you know when we meet him again in Star Wars Rebels, um, Maul is not at the top of anything. So I do want to see where did that implode, and maybe does Kira have anything to do with that? So get on top and get head. Got it. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's what I got from that. <laughs> that's. I mean, I, who can you blame her? Those are pretty good goals. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> the game of life. <laughs> First, the Game of Thrones. Now, the Game of Life. I thought she was pretty good. I mean. Just honestly, I wasn't really blown away by any of the characters in this, but I do think she served the role well for this movie. I think her beginning scene with Han really establishes their connection, which gives him the motivation that he really, like y'all said, that's her, she was his motivation throughout the movie, which makes the betrayal that much more heartbreaking. Like, I really want to give Amelia Clark, Clark the, the, the words are hard, credit because I really liked little subtle details in her facial expressions. Like, we didn't have to see much of her relationship with Dryden to know that it's definitely some level of creepy abuse going on there. She just had to give us just a facial expression to tell us all of that. But I do think she overall served the role in the film well. I think she had good chemistry with pretty much everybody. And I am very curious, like, I know we're going to talk about Maul more later, but I'm deaf. that is a story I would like to see more of, and I would not mind... Her like her story continuing with that as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm. I pretty much agree with you guys. I uh, my main thing about her was that I would. I, I'm. I'm. I'm just curious to see her story with Maul continue, and I. And I. I actually don't think it needs to be solo two. Like I would be down for a solo two if they made it, but like there's a certain level for me of like I kind of like the idea that that's just the last time he ever saw Akira. <laughs> you know, if that makes sense, that she just kind of went. I was like, well, fuck. You know, <laughs> it's like like I can I kind of think I like that. I'm sure like, it is. I think whatever. 
whatever uh um if if they ever do continue that story i kind of want it to just be the continuation of kira and maul's story and i i don't think han actually needs to be involved in it but i do want to talk about uh long returning character of course chewbacca i mean listen chewie's chewie in this movie you know mm-hmm. like he's 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 the chewbacca we know and love and i i really liked the way they kind of portrayed you know sh- showing the first time uh, han and chewie meet each other that like immediately you know han Han speaks uh, Shiree Wook and is like, you know, <laughs> makes this plan with Chewie to knock the uh, the beam down and all that. Like, I think it's a really fun sequence, and I think Chewie ends up being a really fun character throughout this movie. And I like seeing him uh, free the the members of his tribe uh, on on Kessel. So uh, yeah, I I just think. You know, Chewie's Chewie, and he's all. It's like you can't have a Han Solo movie without Chewbacca. We're getting him at the end of that slavery. Yeah. Um, you know, Chewbacca comes out of that slavery, and we see exactly why he will not let them put those handcuffs on him in A New Hope. When he is in the mud, and he is soaked, and he is acting like an animal instead of like the sentient being that we know and love Chewie for being. Um, we've seen him in we've seen him in the prequels, and he was amazing. He was off to the side, but he was always amazing, and he was always honorable. And we saw him with Han in the original, and we have grown and loved Chewie. But we saw the very end of the heartbreak that Chewie had to go through, and then we see it again later on in the movie when he decides, "Fuck no." I am not going to abandon this quest and I am going to free my people. Fuck these motherfuckers. And I just fall in love with Chewie all over again. I get teary-eyed in that scene every time. I fucking love it. So I want to amend my last statement. I'm not a fan of really many of the characters except Chewbacca. Honestly, Chewie is my favorite part of this movie. (laughs) I think... He is an absolute joy every time he's on screen in any Star Wars movie, in my opinion. Though I feel like his inclusion in the sequel trilogy kind of felt like he did. He felt, I don't want to say useless, but kind of useless just because the movie wasn't about him. It just kind of felt like fan service. This movie feels like he, he has a purpose to be here. He has a story. And I really enjoyed watching it. I really liked how he met Han. I mean, again, I haven't read the Expanded Universe, so I don't know what story was told before this one, but I really enjoyed just kind of how they had to work together right from the start to survive. I think that when they're running and they're chained together, it's a nice visual metaphor for their lives are connected now. Like, they can't go away from, they can't go away without the other. This is their life now. And he got some great badass moments. We got to see some of his family or tribe. And I really enjoyed it. And like, this is my favorite inclusion of Chewbacca in a Star Wars movie since the original trilogy, I think. What I love about Chewie in this movie is that Chewbacca is the only character that does not betray Han in this film at all. Mm-hmm. And Han, mm-hmm. to his credit, similarly always does the right thing by Chewie every scene. Um, when he, when Chewie realizes yeah. that he has to go off and save his people, that, you know, he might leave the crew forever, and Han accepts it. It's just like, here, you're gonna need the weapon more than I will. You know, and then later on, Chewie realizing, okay, I've saved my people, Han still needs help. You know, in the Legends trilogy, um, the idea with Chewie was that, for some reason, 
he owed Han a life debt, you know, for saving his life. I kind of like in Solo more that it's just they both realized, you know, how much they trust and rely on each other. You know, in their first few meetings, they realized how well they work together, how much they trust each other. And at the very end, you know, they realized that, okay, so you're pretty much the only guy that I trust completely, you know, ever. Because I know for certain you're not going to screw me over. And I'm going to do the same by you. I'm always going to be working for you. I love their relationship in this movie. I just love... Yeah, I love Chewie in this movie whatsoever. I get him... I love him being his centenarian, giant, intelligent badass. <laughs> and I and I do love... You, have, you made that point earlier that, you know, when you first meet him, he's, you know, chained up in a pit. He's a beast. It's like, no, he's a hero and a friend and a pilot as well. He's... You know, Chewie is so much more... And I, I really do love that, you know, this movie is, as much as it's a celebration of Han, it's like, yeah, this is the Han and Chewie story, as it should be. Well, it's such a fan service moment where um, Chewie sits next to Han in the, the the cockpit of the Falcon for the first time. But, like, I just, that moment always gets me every time. I'm like, yes! Of, like, <laughs> just, just seeing, just the, the first time of Han as pilot and Chewie as co-pilot is just such a cool moment to me. So, yeah, I agree with you guys. I want to get deep into the character of Beckett deep into Beckett oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah Mr. Mr. Woody Mr. Woody Harrelson uh, get deeper yes. into Woody okay Mr. Woody okay, it's fun. it's okay here's what's funny to me it's like these Star Wars characters like you know usually have these these weird names Obi-Wan Kenobi Anakin Skywalker you know Han Solo. They get a character Tobias Beckett. Like that could just be some guy's <laughs> name. Like that. Most like, normal name I've ever heard. It's like Tobias Beckett. It's very Western, <laughs> like a gunslinger. I don't know. What do you guys think of Beckett? You know, it's, yeah, it's as you said. He's the gunslinger. He's the you know old cowboy who constantly has one more score. You know, this is going to be my last one. As he says himself, you know, he's an entrepreneur. He's always trying to find an angle. Always trying to find the last score. He's had a long career and. And what I find interesting about it is that, you know, his career is, has been usually pretty self-serving. And at the end of it, you know, went literally at the end of his life, he has no friends. The love of his life was lost to the score. He's got no money, no ship. So yeah, after all his years of self-serving, Tobias Beckett ultimately ends up with nothing. He is, for Han, he's the ultimate cautionary tale in that he is kind of a mentor figure, but he's also a stark reminder of where... That attitude and this life can very well lead. Um, I do also like that in their final battle, Han does actually both take his advice and also he actually does exactly what Tobias is telling him. You know, as he's just about to fire, he says, all right, you better be paying attention. And then Han notices him actually put his, uh, you know, finger on the trigger on the gun in his belt. And that's when Han decides to shoot. It's like, okay. Han really Hot was paying first. attention. <laughs> you can't argue about that one. <laughs> yeah, but no, he, he's fun. And, you know, just as, you know, he's a kind of mentor to Han, he's also kind of has that, uh, you know, darker... He, he, he is very much kind of like a slightly darker Han in that he's, you know, selfish, cocky, you know, has that sort of swagger, and also has that, you know... You know, he's a surprisingly humorous character as well. But, yeah, so, yeah, in general, I really like him, and I really love Woody Harrelson's performance. He's... Always a joy to watch. Woody Harrelson mm. automatically is going to make a character more interesting than how it's written just because it's Woody Harrelson. I just, mm. he just didn't leave that big an impression on me. And I think that's just my problem 
or one of them. It's just that I don't remember a lot about this movie and I saw it today. It's just, it's not leaving a strong impression on me. And it's weird because like for me, Star Wars should never be boring. <laughs> like there's Star Wars I love, Star Wars I despise, but I remember them. And I'm just having, at least with a lot of the characters and some of the story in this movie, it just doesn't leave an impression on me. Like it served the story fine. Like I don't think with the exception of Han Solo, any of the characters did not serve their roles in the story. I just don't feel like they were memorable or distinct enough to leave an impression for me. And I don't know why, but I guess that's it. <laughs> you were talking about he dies alone with nothing. At, at the hand of Han Solo. Um, you can't argue that Han shot first this time. No one can. Mm. Uh, but, but Tobias Beckett is one of those things. It's like a line in a movie that doesn't stick with you. And then a few few years later, you, something happens in your life, and you're like, oh, shit. And that's exactly what is happening with, with him. None of this settles in until right before he comes back to save Luke. Hmm. He realizes, and, I, and, and you can tell that. Beckett sends him on his journey where we pick him up at in A New Hope. You know, that's, that's where we pick up. He is becoming Beckett. He is mm -hmm. becoming the person because he does respect him. And he hated shooting him. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's one of those things. He felt bad for shooting him. Mm -hmm. And there's still that feeling. So yes, you're absolutely right, Zach. That core of good is in him. And it returns when he... I'm sure they're flying away mm -hmm. and it might be Tobias Beckett that he thinks of before he turns that Millennium Falcon around and shoots the greatest pilot in the galaxy, Anakin Skywalker. I mean, Darth <laughs> Vader, a ray from Luke. Uh, sorry, Han, you're you're not the greatest pilot, but you're you're really close. <laughs> but but seriously, Beckett Beckett serves that, and he embodies that archetype. And I think Woody Harrelson was the man to get to play this role. He was basically doing uh, Zombie Land. In a cowboy western way, <laughs> mm -hmm. who could ask for more? <laughs> mm -hmm. No, that's true. Like, if you want like a character like this, this kind of gunslinger, you know, like old west feeling type dude, like Woody's the guy. I mean, that's why he got that role from Zombieland. You know, I, I remember it being very predictable when I watched the movie for the first time. It's like, oh well, Beckett's gonna end up betraying Han, and he does. But the twist ended up not being that he betrayed Han. Was that Han totally saw it coming, and Han actually. Mm -hmm work that into the plan it's like i love that that deception that that fake out it's like yeah the, no the twist was not that was not the betrayal is that the betrayal was not only obvious to the audience but it was obvious to han han was <laughs> paying attention so i really like that i do want to briefly very briefly touch on val and rio uh who are uh, beckett's crew val was fine. I, I didn't find Val to be that memorable of a character. Rio is the character who's actually voiced by uh, John Favreau. I wish he was in more of the movie because I really <laughs> like him. I thought he was a great character. I just wanted to give her, I don't even have much to say over that. I just want to give a Rio a uh, shout out. One thing I really liked about this movie is that it really leaned into practical effects with a lot of its aliens. And like that Lady Proxima mm -hmm. caterpillar fucker, like at the beginning of the movie, that looked fantastic. Oh, yeah. oh that was great. Like, she was great. Oh, yeah, just awesome. 
I love practical effects, period, but I really feel like this movie more than really any recent Star Wars movie really leaned into that. And I really liked how Rio looked and just kind of how, I guess, the effects operated. Like, I thought it was really creative. That's another Ron Howard thing. Uh, I run, as a filmmaker and an actor, I mm-hmm. run on, you need practicals. You've got to have practicals. You can lace your VFX over the practicals and make them look bomb. But if mm-hmm. you want them to stand up over time, there has to be a practical and you have to spend a little money on it. And that's that's absolutely a Ron Howard thing. I absolutely agree with you there, Robin. I pretty much feel the same way. Val is, she serves her purpose. She's not a hugely memorable character. I, I do agree with you, Sam. It's like, oh man, I like this character. I was I was genuinely actually a bit um, sad when he died just because it's like, man, I really did want to see more of him. He's fantastic. Um, he reminds He's me of, uh, yeah. um, what's, what's that actor's name? I know he was played by John Favreau, but he reminds me so much of those of characters that are played by, uh, what's his name? Guy, guy who uh, voiced Bender from Futurama. Oh, um, uh, John DiMaggio. Yeah, yeah he, he reminds me so much of like a John DiMaggio character in a lot of ways. That, you know, fast-talking, you know, kind of sly. Like, always has like a ton of weird anecdotes about his life. It's like, I love the, you know, thing he says when he meets true. It's like, oh, you'll never feel safer than when you're curled up in a Wookiee's lap. It's like... How do you know that? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he has a lot of great lines. In a relatively short amount of screen time, he has a lot of great lines and a lot of great moments. Yeah, I was, I was a big fan of that character. I honestly like Val, and I like that she's willing to sacrifice herself. She knows that she's at the end. That always pops out to me, because rarely yeah. do you have anyone that's willing to accept their fate and she accepts it and she's willing to do what she has to do to get this done and you see the heartbreak in beckett that sticks with me throughout the movie it really does so yeah rio is cool but val she stole my heart the actress playing her i thought she was fucking phenomenal I will say that her her death scene is a really good acting moment when when mm-hmm. she when she detonates the bridge. It is actually a really good acting moment. She did like I I, I felt that there wasn't a lot there from a writing mm-hmm. standpoint, but I felt that she did a really good job with it. I I, I will mm-hmm. say that. Absolutely. Let's talk about Lando. Lando Lando, played by Donald Glover in this movie. We're talking about Donald Glover here, and I'm. I'm eating cookies. The only thing I got to say about Donald Glover is om nom 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 nom. <laughs> so you want to Lando his Calrissian? <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's also prodigious. <laughs> so that one, that one line that Kira has. <laughs> also prodigious. prodigious? What? <laughs> I will say from the days of Community, I wasn't one of those people that watched Community uh, religiously. It was a cute and hilarious show, and I've started watching it with my wife recently. But I will say from those performances that I saw him in, to his music, to everything that I have ever seen that he has put his fingers in, hopefully that will be me one day. Um, (laughs) He blows me away. And I expected nothing less when he was cast as Lando Calrissian. Just the way that he gives off the same smugness. 
he blew me away from the very second that he's on the scene. And the build-up to meeting Lando was so perfect. And I'm going to get this jab in right quick. I'm going to get this jab in really quick. That's where they fucked up on The Last Jedi, is when they didn't have Lando be the code breaker that they needed him to be in that casino. Because they built it up, and that character was shit, was nothing. But Lando Calrissian is Lando fucking Cal fucking Rizian. And Donald Glover brought it from the very beginning. He did not copy anybody. He made it his own, but he also paid respect to his elders. You know, and I really love what he did with this character. I pretty much gotta feel the same way. So what I deeply love is that, you know, they start hyping him up. Uh, but it's like, oh yes, he's a great gambler. He's a fantastic pilot, a smuggler, a hero. He's prodigious. It's like, okay, we get it, he's fantastic. And then you immediately see him and it's like, damn, you expect that to just be hype? But it's like, no, no, that's who it is. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I am actually that great. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually the best. Huh? I'm actually the best, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when, you know, they were announcing the cast for this movie, there's a lot of actors who think they're so hard to replace, and Billy Dee is actually one of them. It's like, okay, how do you how do you go by Billy Dee? And then they said Donald Glover, and I'm like, okay, yeah, no, you're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was everything I could have hoped for. He, I just love that he was effortlessly, effortlessly, effortlessly charming, unlike saying the word effortlessly. He was effortlessly <laughs> charming in every single scene he's in. You know, I deeply love his, you know, sheer, you know, swagger, his charm, the feeling that, you know, even when he's technically not on top of the scene, even when another character is making the terms, he always gives this feeling of it's like, I'm graciously allowing this to happen. Yeah, he, he's just an absolute joy in this. And his uh, back and forth with Beckett, with Han, um, you know, with L3, I just, <laughs> he, he just played so well off of every character. He's just... A delight to watch in every scene he's in. Did they technically have to have Lando in this movie? Yes, because he has the Millennium Falcon. And also, yes, because, again, he's an absolute joy to watch in every single scene he's in. I was gonna say, Zach, are you were gonna make an argument that he didn't take... I think he actually kind of did. <laughs> no, they did. <laughs> but yeah. For a second there, I thought, it's like, well, the city of this movie, movie that I, then I thought, it's like, yeah, actually, no, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> no, you need, you need to show... If you're doing a Han Solo prequel, you need to show how Han got the Falcon. So, like, and Lando has to be a part of that. No, I love Donald, Donald Glover. He's... Everything he touches is gold. His music is great. He was great on Community. And he's excellent here. Like, I think he just perfectly embodies Lando. He embodies him physically, but unlike, in my opinion, Alden, unpronounceable last name, he also embodies the spirit of Lando. Like, he got who Lando is. Like, I have no problem believing this guy is Billy D in Empire. I love the way he looks at every other character with this idea, like... You're beneath me, but I kind of want to fuck you too, so get beneath me kind of mentality. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's great. It's just, I just wish he did more because I loved what I saw of him, but I really feel like they underused him just compared to some of the other characters. I feel like he left such a good impression. I kind of would have preferred he do more than kind of just sit on the ship or play cards. Like, I feel like he didn't, unless I missed it, I don't feel like he got a badass moment. 
Like I felt Kira got one, Han got one, Chewie got one, L3 sort of got one, but he didn't. And I just, I would have, I just wished I saw more of him, I guess. So I guess that's not really a criticism as much as a compliment. And I wanted more. He he participated in the fight, but no, I agree. I, I agree. He didn't have as much of a standout moment in that fight as a lot of other characters did. Yeah, he participated. Give him a participation trophy. I was there. <laughs> I shot at some people. <laughs> Lando redeems. Yeah. Lando blows up the second Death Star. He redeems himself later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he needed to be in a fight scene and have his shirt ripped off and all of that. <laughs> <laughs> he needed to be one of those. Look, just because we want to see Lando with no shirt, just somehow he still has his cape on, but the shirt's off. Yes, that's what we yes, all want to see. guns yeah, blazing. <laughs> Troy, if you've been getting enough water today, you seem so thirsty. There we go. Yeah, yeah, go well, quench your thirst. You're so thirsty right now. I got it right here. I'm trying to fix it. <laughs> so I was late to the Donald Glover train because I didn't watch Community. And before this movie came out, I knew who he was, but I wasn't like familiar with his work the way a lot of people were. I, I definitely I knew him from he didn't even have a huge role in this, but I knew him from The Martian more than anything else. And when they announced him as uh, as Lando, I was like the only person who was like that guy. Like I just don't know if I really see it. And then when I saw the movie, it was like okay, no, he is actually the perfect Lando. I just I just was having a hard time seeing it in, initially. But no, like in the actual movie, I think he's the perfect Lando. And yes, he just. <laughs> He has so many great lines. Like I love, um, uh, he's he's trying to get uh, Beckett to remove the boot from from the Falcon, and Beckett's like increases the uh, his his cut. It's like I'll do it for a little more of, of your cut. He's like, I don't like it, I don't respect it, but I accept it. You know, <laughs> it's like it's so good. Uh, apparently, he's also like narrating his own audio book based on like it's like what the Calrissian Chronicles, chapter six. Like what? <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's so good. Literally impossible to tell whether or not his weird memoirs are like true or not. <laughs> it's like I don't know. He's had a weird life, but also he's a renowned liar. So <laughs> I'm hoping for a show with him. To be honest, I'm did hoping they, for did a they announce one. I think that is coming. I think that is coming, actually. I think they did actually. I am, really? I am super I looking so. forward to that. Yes! Yes. Yeah, I think I think that I'm was one of the, the one of the bank. million shows on the slate they did. Yeah, the, the giant slate of Star Wars and Marvel shows coming out. I think Lando was actually Oh. Uh, I do want to talk about L three right. as well. Oh god, kind of, kind of connected to Lando. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm conflicted. I'll let you start, Robin. I'm conflicted on this character, but I'll let you start. Okay, I found her really fucking annoying, personally. Like, Jar Jar annoying. <laughs> I may, like, I might be alone on this, but just, I, she just, I'm torn. Because on the one hand, I found her annoying, but I also think the portrayal might be a little offensive, personally. Because to me, the it felt like a parody of social justice warriors, a little bit. And I'm kind of like, I just think that's a little tasteless. Just considering the time the film was released. But they also make other political references, which, brief tangent, but people criticize the sequel trilogy for being too political, but no one talked about Solo, which has actual political references to real things at the time, so funny. But it f I just kind of felt, because the thing is, yes, she does actually do some good with droids, but it's always played for laughs. Like, her fighting for droid social justice is played as a joke. 
and it's it's not something anyone else takes seriously. It's not something that ever really like. I mean, it leads to a slave rebellion, but they still play it kind of in a jokey way. So it, I could be totally off base here, but it felt like kind of making fun of the social justice warriors. And I'm always wary of movies doing that. Not that there is no room for criticism there, because there is 100%, but it always makes me uncomfortable. But besides that, I just found her really annoying, just constantly yelling. And it's just like, just me personally, almost all the time, not every time, when you have a side character that just seems who just needs to fill the dead air with constant noise. It's just, shut the fuck up. God damn. And just there were so many characters, it just kind of felt like, I don't know why you were here. You do serve a purpose, but it's a purpose, I guess, that could have easily been rewritten, personally. I just found her annoying. I actually do agree with some of those issues. I don't, I didn't find her as annoying as you did, but I do have my same core issues with the how she was written, particularly how other characters reply, because... You know, her goal of, you know, advancing equal rights for droids, saying, hey, we're also sentient beings who can think for ourselves and maybe we deserve, you know, rights and respect is like, she's completely right. And it's a little weird that everyone else is like brushing her off as, you know, just being as annoying. It's like, oh, you asking for your rights, <laughs> like you want to be a people. But, <laughs> but I'm like, she's right, though. She, she's like 100 percent right. But, so, yeah, that was super fucking weird to me. It also really bothers me what happens in her fate, because her character is, you know, like her lover, her entire character is about being free, about, you know, expressing herself, um, about self-determination. And she's not allowed to die. They instead hook her brain into the Falcon, where other people pilot her for the rest of the Falcon's life. So she's essentially enslaved to whoever is at the controls for the rest of her life. And like, wow, that is the exact fate she would not have ever wanted for herself at any point. That's super dark and a little weird. Um, yeah, I'm actually really bothered by that in a lot of ways. Like, I get, I think what they were trying to say was like, oh, look, the Falcon literally has a spirit of freedom and rebellion in it. But I'm like, yeah, but it's the spirit of freedom and rebellion that's controlled by other people for the rest of its existence that's that's a little fucked with this movie he followed the formula of lucas's older formula where you have your archetypes the only way to really get across issues without people shutting down is to use comedy that's the only way and let's face it the people that are justice warriors they don't shut the fuck up they never shut the fuck up. And it's good that they don't, but they find every way that they can to jab. So I found that to be more realistic. Um, I'm glad that they took on essentially a race issue in this movie at the level that a child can understand it. And that's what we need to understand. We need to sit back and realize that Star Wars movies are made for children. They are children's movies. We just absolutely love them as adults. But they follow the formula that was used in ancient Greek so that most of the population can understand it and you kind of oversimplify it for children. L3 is a lively spirit. I absolutely love her. I love Jar Jar. I love the Porgs. 
they're there for people like me. They're there for the simple folk that are comedians. And there's a lot more that we build to because we can. There's a lot more that we fight for because we can. Because with comedy, it doesn't shut people down. But we got a very realistic ending for L3 than we got from anyone else. We got the ending that happens to anyone who becomes a freedom fighter. It's just realistic. What happened to JFK or RFK or MLK? And then the knowledge that they stirred up and pushed may not be used the way that we want it to be used, but it does go on in one form or another. So it's a beautiful metaphor and it's sad. And we get to laugh until we see this horrific ending. And that's what happens in good comedy. In good comedy, you get to laugh it up and think about the issues later. And then there's one moment that just breaks your heart. Unfortunately, that moment had to be L3. I agree with elements of all three of you guys' points. Like, I'll, I'll pick and grab different elements. Like, I think, um, I have a fundamental issue with the way droids are treated in Star Wars. Because I think that there's this thing of the fact that right from the beginning we see in, even in New Hope, that 3PO and R2-D2 are completely sentient beings with their own personalities and they are es essentially slaves. And I feel that the movies just never really address that. And then, like, even worse, you get something like the Clone Wars uh, animated stuff where you have battle droids who have way more personality than the battle droids in the movies do. And yet we're, we're supposed to, like, almost... Like, the show feels like it's, like, delighting and just completely destroying these characters. It's like, oh, we're gonna give them way more personality, and look how fun it is to hack them to pieces. Like, I don't understand what kind of message you're trying to send to it. I don't know, it's so weird. Like, it just, there's always been this weird discrepancy to me with the way droids are treated in Star Wars. And I feel that L3 is not an exception to that, but I'm glad that they at least had a character who addressed the fact that droids are essentially sentient beings who are slaves in, in Star Wars. Um, and I'm glad that they at least addressed that. I also agree with both you, Robin, and Zach. I don't like the fact that the movie makes her the butt of a lot of jokes and that the characters kind of laugh off, you know, whatever. You know, uh, uh, her attempts at liberating the droids is like, oh, it is like, so that's silly L3 with your uh, delusions of freedom for robots. It's like, oh no, but she has a point though. But I, I, I actually liked a lot of what you had to say, Troy. I actually, believe it or not, and I, I, I don't, I don't like the Jar Jar character at all. I actually do think L3 has some good humorous moments. Like, I, I didn't find her necessarily as annoying. I, I did actually think that she, she was a good source of comic relief at times in this movie. I actually liked her becoming part of the Falcon. To be honest, the way that you put it, Zach, is a way I genuinely had never thought of it in that way before you kind of said that. And I think that that's a very good and valid point. I just took more of the simpler, I guess, way of looking at it, which is she's part of the ship now and now she, she gets to live on and she gets to continue to help her friends through this. And, like, I, I understand, like, you saying that that's, that's not the fate that she would have wanted. Maybe not. I, I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. Like, I, I, it's like, to me, this, this is just a way for her 
to sort of live on like is is kind of like i i don't know if she necessarily has as much of her her personality intact when she's part of the falcon or not but like to me that's just like okay this this is a way for her spirit to live on and to continue to help them i enjoyed the sentiment of that and i i actually did enjoy the the ending of her of her character so overall i'm conflicted on the character i i admired what they were trying to do i think it could i, I think there are elements that could have been executed better but i admired what they were trying to do and there, there were moments where i genuinely enjoyed the character a lot let me say one more thing you're supposed to feel bad you're supposed to feel awkward you're supposed to feel horrified by the way that the droids are treated it's mm-hmm. the whole point of the droids it's why we ma- it's why they make us love them even yeah. the bad droids because you see that they're not actually bad they're doing what they're controlled to do so you are supposed to feel awkward you're supposed to feel bad and it's supposed to enrage you it's a dark thing no i i totally get that so i want to i want to touch on dryden voss kind of the main bad guy played by uh pop mr paul bettany man with some vision perhaps <laughs> who fun fact was actually uh recast i think michael kenneth williams was actually supposed to play this role when it was directed by um lord miller but when mm-hmm. the whole behind the scenes stuff happened ron howard came in michael k williams was was no longer available for the reshoot date so mm-hmm. the backup was paul bettany which is kind of funny to me it's like oh yeah we'll just get, i guess we'll get paul bettany but he's also <laughs> a very frequent collaborator with ron howard as well which is what, what white cat brought him in so i don't know what, what, what did you guys uh think of this this overall uh this this particular villain character he's a bad guy he's i mean that's that's kind of the thing with driving it's like this is not a terribly complicated bad guy. He's, he's, yeah, he's a bad guy gangster with the deep love of knives. And I know that he was brought in for reshoots and I actually just noticed the other day. It's like, man, they really only have him on two sets in this movie. It's like, you can, like, it's not at all obvious the first time I watched it or even the second. But like after several rewatches, like, okay, I can, I can kind of, I can see the reshoot thing here. It's, he really is only on two sets in this movie. It's like, all right, we're going to get you for, you know, a couple of days, just bring your A-game, and credit to Paul Bettany. He brought his goddamn A-game. Although I don't think I've ever seen Paul Bettany not bring his A-game. That man does not know how to phone it in, I think. Maybe he'll learn one day, but it ain't happened yet. I love the kind of tiny detail uh, that Dryden has scars on his face, possibly from Maul, possibly from something else, but... Not just the fact that it's scarred, but when he gets angered, when his blood pressure starts rising, you start to see those scars, you know, get angrier, get redder themselves. You know, literally, he literally has this charming side of him where he's calm and pleasant and funny and everyone likes to talk to him. And he has this deeply ugly side, which can surface at any time. And so I think that, you know, he's not a terribly complex villain, but I do think he's a very good one. He's very effective. What I most like about Dryden is his uh, relationship with Kira. There's clearly something fucked up going on there. Some sort of horrible mentorship that reaches its peak. And it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, it was... Kind of surprising that they had uh, Maul in the movie, but it makes sense in context that Maul is his boss and in some ways, I guess, kind of a cruel mentor to Dryden because it does remind me of that old Sith philosophy of Rule of Two where, you know, someone mentors the person below them and that person below them can only ascend by destroying their mentor. They both love and hate their apprentice and their master. You know, they look out for them, they hang on their word, 
they learn as much from they can from them, and then they destroy them. It is very much reflective of that kind of Sith relationship, so when you see Maul, it's like, okay, that actually tracks. That very much tracks with, you know, how this syndicate seems to act. So yeah, overall I thought he was very effective. Um, I liked his vibro knives were an effective um, weapon. Um, and I also just liked the, his uh, his charm whenever he was in a scene. It's like you can almost forget for a second that this is an absolutely horrible person. So yeah, again, not a complicated character whatsoever. There is no nuance really here but Paul Bettany knocked it out of the park and he's he's an effective monster for the hero to slay and then find out that the story was more complicated than he thought later on. I agree with you. I think that he wasn't a complicated villain, but I thought that Paul Bettany brought a lot of charm and a lot of charisma to it, so I don't, I don't have much to add. I love that in the beginning, you see fear. I see fear! That is expected! <laughs> <laughs> you know who I answer to, and you know what he would expect. You know, so from the very beginning, he let you know that he answers to someone. We just don't know who. And I watched this the first day it came out in uh, theaters, and I remember screaming at the very end when we saw who his boss was. I feel like Paul Bettany did the best. I can't see anybody else playing him, and it's nice to see him play. We need a flat villain. We needed a flat villain, and it was nice to see Paul Bettany do it, because it's Paul Bettany. And I'm sorry... But I think I'm seeing why I, I love Solo as, as much as I love uh, Episode 3. And that's because they have all these sexy women here. Get you some water. You're so thirsty. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of you've very been, pretty you've been people. Drinking it out. <laughs> <laughs> there's some fluid. I'm trying. I can't help it. Oh my god. I, I mean, seriously. You got Donald. You got Paul. Paul Bettany. You got Bettany, Amelia Clark and Lover. her caterpillar eyebrows. So that sounds. We like got Alden Big E. It's, it sounds like an insult. It's not. I'm actually a huge sucker for big eyebrows. I don't know why, but yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Seriously, I forgot how how thirsty this movie makes me. Oh my god. Ah, sweet dreams. That's why I always watch it at night. <laughs> but but Dryden Boss is the flat villain that we all needed for this for this film to really come together. To me, he's a less effective Snoke. And that he's a secondary antagonist who's masquerading as a primary antagonist like i love snoke and last jedi i feel like i'm one in the minority there but i feel like he serves his role in the story incredibly well he's oh. he's a red herring villain he's an intimidating presence but he's not the real villain and i think dryden voss is supposed to be a similar character my problem is i just don't feel like dryden voss made the same impression that snoke did and part of that's because the movie doesn't let him have the opportunity He's in two scenes, I feel like, and he does like I, he does some good stuff. Like, I enjoy the little subtle new, like bits. Like again, I talked about Amelia Clark's facial expressions telling us a lot about her relationship with Dryden. Well, his physicality does too. The way he takes control, domination over her with just his hand, like putting a hand on her, lets us know this guy has power over her. And it's abusive. Like it's great little touches, but I feel like I've seen characters like this in other movies better 
like I know it came out later, but I keep thinking of Ewan McGregor and Birds of Prey. Like that's all I kept thinking about when I saw him. Is this is the character that I feel like Dryden Voss could have been if he had more screen time? Because again, like I feel like we saw glimmers of what Dryden could have been if he had more scenes. But I just kind of felt like, eh, he's a bad guy. He's bad. Ooh, baddie, bad. But he just wasn't that. In- I feel like the real antagonist really was Beckett in a lot of ways, and he was the character that I would argue in the story had was more fleshed out and more interesting. Like Dryden was just kind of a secondary antagonist he just didn't have enough time to really in my opinion be memorable and really established as the threat we are supposed to feel he is i think that's legitimate let's uh touch on enfys nest i think the problem i had with this character and and this whole the whole marauder the crew of marauders is that this this what one of the, the the actual like nitpicks i will levy towards this movie is that i kept forgetting about infus nest throughout the movie until like they show up again oh yeah infus nest it's like it's like because we keep going like multiple scenes with like not even really talking about infus nest it's like oh yeah infus nest and then finally it's like oh infus nest it's like First of all, like, early on in the movie, it's unclear when they talk about If It's Nest, whether that's the name of the group or the name of the leader. Like, it's like, wait, who are you? Wait. <laughs> oh, I guess her name is If It's Nest? Like, it's weird. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was weirdly unclear the way the dialogue was written at first. I weirdly think the group is Infus Nest and she is Infus, which doesn't help at all <laughs> okay that is confusing if that's the ca- if that's actually the case that is very confusing so i was looking at wikipedia and like uh that that actress is is credited as infus nest in the credits apparently so i don't know it's it's weird but nobody fucking knows when she shows up it's like oh yeah it's like she's actually a uh, sympathetic character and they're actually like these good robin hood guys it's like this would be more impactful to me if i didn't keep forgetting that these characters even existed the entire movie <laughs> it's like it's not even that like i noticed them when they're there it's just that they're absent for so much of the movie it's like oh yeah those guys fuck you know yeah. it was kind of my problem with it so they did they actually didn't leave a huge impression on me personally but i don't know what do you guys think they were needed for han to decide to be a good guy and for tobias to decide to be a bad guy because otherwise yeah that they didn't really have an idea for that i just thought it was super weird how han immediately turns it's like you know we can't give the you know fuel whatever to back to tim and it's like why not? I mean, sure, they're right there, and so they, you know, might take issue with it, but it's like, okay, but there's like seven of them, and you've already, you guys have already proven that you're weirdly good at taking out large armies of people. I mean, and you have Chua on your side, so I'm like, why exactly can you not, like, take them? I, I don't, yeah, anyhow. And also, like, I get that Han is trying, is a good guy, and that, you know, he's not a huge fan of what Crimson Dawn did. You know, he was really moved by their speech. But it still seems like kind of a fast turnaround to suddenly be like, oh, these guys are on our side. And it also felt weird that because of how much it's clearly eating at him throughout much of the movie, it felt weird that Tobias didn't, like, assign any sort of blame for Val and Rio's death to Infus Nest. It's like, okay, so he, like, doesn't mention anything about that at all when he's trying to talk to Han. It's like, yeah, don't you remember that they killed our friends? It's like, nope, apparently not. Okay. <laughs> it's like this, this, screenwriter, this screenwriter was like, oh, fuck, I forgot about that. Oh, the movie yeah. is... Draft's already done, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I kind of agree with you that it's like, you know, for... 
you know, for being so central to the final act, they are weirdly not in so much of the movie. It's like, nah, that is that is actually very strange. It's like, you couldn't, like, have a few of them show up on Kessel, just be, you know, kind of this dogged group. It's like, oh my god, we cannot shake these guys. What the fuck? But, yeah, I did like the overall design of Infus Nest. You know, it was a very cool... No suit mask combo. Um, love the musical theme. They didn't work, I think, as well as I would have liked. Um, I, or that character specifically didn't work as well as you know, liked. Um, I do like that actress. Um, I want to say Carrie Walgren. That's not it. No. Oh, I I was just looking at it. Yeah, I do. I do like that actress a lot. Aaron Kellyman. Aaron yes, Kellyman. Aaron yes, Kellyman. I do love her. Um, I do also like that we had. Uh, the actor from Willow. Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis. Um, I do love that we had um, Warwick Davis show up there. Just because he's so deeply tied to Star Wars. And is also just... A, yeah. I, I also just love seeing him in anything. Um, so I do like that he had... I do also like that he wasn't a creature character this time. It's like, no, it's like, this is just Warwick Davis as himself, as a badass. It's like, okay. He's actually reprising his role from The Phantom Menace, where he also had no dialogue. But it, it has been confirmed <laughs> that is he is the same guy who was like in the stands of the pod race. And all I was right. like, all right, cool. <laughs> he aged brilliantly. Yeah, yeah he, he is great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, visually, I think they were a very cool group. You know, Infus Nest and her marauders were very cool. You know, I do think that, you know, they were necessary to, you know, have Han get that little push little hint towards there's still that glimpse of good in him but um at the end of the day they were not as impactful as they could have been and probably should have been as characters yeah i didn't have a problem with them personally i think they just were kind of forgettable but like i think they served an important purpose and i liked kind of seeing the seeds of the rebel alliance start to form i thought that was a nice detail but i agree that they just were kind of forgettable like oh yeah they're in this movie there's just so much happening, and it's like, oh, yeah, these characters. Like, again, I love seeing Warwick Davis in anything. I think the actress, was it Aaron Kellyman, does well. But I do get yes, annoyed. Yep. Like, this is a nitpick, but, like, a movie in 2018 decided to do the, ooh, surprise, it's a woman trope that, like, stuff did, like, all throughout, like, the 90s and early 2000s. I'm like, since when is being a woman gonna stop being a twist? Like... I, I think in this case it was less a woman and more as like, oh, she's just a kid. Maybe, but they still disguised her voice to sound like a like a strict, very masculine voice. So I still... Like, I get what... I do yeah. get what you're saying, but I do feel like her being a feminine character was part of the twist, and I'm just like, can we not do that anymore? Like, it's just not necessary, but I do think the actress did fine. I just think I don't feel like they left a big enough impression to really say much more. Hear me out before you before you got me. <laughs> this is my vision. Alright, Infus Ness. Uh, Aaron Kellyman did a wonderful job. She was, she was really good. She was really good. Um... But here we go. I would have stripped the fuck out of that shit because we didn't need Infus Ness. Fuck that. We already have other characters that we can put in. You know who I would have put in? I would have put in Hondo Annika. If you ever watch The Clone Wars, you know who the fuck he is. He's one of the baddest spice pirates that ever lived. And if you want to give someone like Maul to fight, then give him someone to fight. Fuck the rebel scums. Fuck them. 
I'm tired of seeing <laughs> where the rebels began. We know it started on all these fucking uh, planets, and we know that it they started sparking everywhere because they was tired the, of the unfairness of the Empire. Fuck the rebels. Fuck them. That's right, I said it, and I'll say it again. <laughs> fuck the rebels. You want to fuck all the rebels? Maybe, especially maybe Leia. <laughs> well, if we could, if we could get ourselves a room with Han, Leia, Lando, and Admiral Akbar can watch. I don't know. We got a party. <laughs> they might bring me to their side. Captain, repel firepower of that magnitude. Hey, Luke, use the force. I don't have the force, but I have the whores. Oh. <laughs> as soon as they see me coming into that room, I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but seriously, I'm tired of seeing the rebel stuff. Give me more. Give me something else. Give me something off the beaten path of Star Wars. You know what I want to do? I want to make a movie about a brother that's a uh, that's a stormtrooper and a brother that's a rebel. Now that would make a good story, but I'm tired of seeing the I'm tired of seeing the rebels stuff. We know the rebels are growing, but the rebels were a lot smaller than what they're trying to make it out to be. So give me something else. The pirates, bring me into the pirates. Bring me into the bounty hunters. Give me something else. Do you know what what would work with bounty hunters? Emperor Palpatine wants to take down Maul because Maul is is out there and he knows it because he's escaped from him once again, which I think Palpatine is letting him escape because, you know, for one, he sees Maul as a son. For two, he actually can't bring himself to kill him and he creates a nice little... I'm, I'm just going to interject on that words. and say that Palpatine says himself in Clone Wars, I'm not done with you. I have uses for you. He lets him escape because yes. whatever Maul is doing yes. fits what Palpatine wants to have. Exactly. Exactly. It's a nice little look over here. Bad guys, terrorists, you still need me. But I would have replaced Impus Nest with, with Hondo. And I would have done a little fan service there. It just makes sense. Because the character is forgettable, and we've already seen the rebel bullshit. So you touched on Maul, and I actually want to go there next. I'll probably kind of, I'll kind of start to, to to wind down a little bit because I think we've actually gotten into a lot of. And talking about the characters, I think we've talked about a lot of the plot, but I do want to talk yeah. about the Darth Maul cameo because this was a big thing. Of it was it was one of the first. There was a couple of small things in Rogue One. Of seeing Chopper, hearing uh, Hera's name get mentioned, and then seeing the ghost. But this was the first, like, big thing of really bringing in something from the animated shows into one of the live-action movies. And it was really exciting for me when I saw this movie for the first time of seeing Maul and seeing the acknowledgement of Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, seeing Ray Park... Uh, reprised the role, but with Sam Witwer's voice. It was an awesome fan service moment for me personally. As much as I hate to admit this, though, the more I've gone back to this movie and the more I've talked to people who have not watched the shows, it's really fucking confusing if you haven't watched the shows. And I think it was a little too inside baseball. The more I watch this movie and the more I kind of think about it and go back to it, I just, I think they didn't really do... Like, they didn't explain how Maul is alive, because if you just see Phantom Menace and you don't see the animated stuff, Maul's dead. 
like he is. And, and it, it, it created a confusion over what the timeline of this movie was. I saw people actually think that somehow this movie took place before Phantom Menace, which obviously doesn't make sense. But, like, people were so confused by the presence of Maul in this movie. And I, as much as I loved it, I don't know if it was actually the right move for this movie. I don't know. I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted, I guess, is, is where, where I'm kind of going with that. I am of the opinion that I like the scene for the most part. And I like the idea of, you know, revealing that Maul is the leader of the syndicate. I would have done it a little differently. Like, literally, I think the execution was off. The way they did it in the movie, they were basically doing everything they could to scream to the audience, Maul! Maul! Maul's back! Like, they showed, you know, his horns. Uh, they made a point that whenever he moves his legs, it makes the whirring robotic sound. So, you know, it's like, oh, he got his legs replaced. For some reason, he summons his lightsaber, turns it on for a second. It's just like, I still got a double-sided lightsaber. Remember, I'm Maul. Remember, I'm Maul. And I thought that was weird. Um, I just thought that execution was odd. Like, it literally seemed like a weird character moment. The way I would have done it is maybe have him be like a hooded figure from behind. Still have Sam Witwer's voice. Pretty much keep the dialogue unchanged. And then you don't see much of him as he's kind of a hooded figure and think, is this Palpatine, baby? But then you just get a brief glimpse under the hood of Maul's face and those red eyes. So that if you hadn't... Uh, seen the shows, if you had just watched the movies, you'd be like, Maul? And you'd be, like, interested, but it's not, like, beating over the head. It leaves you intrigued to find out more. And if you had watched the shows, you'd be like, oh my gosh, it's Maul! They're acknowledging it from the series! The way it is, it just seems weirdly out of place. That's a case where I think, like, literally revealing it, but not, but revealing less would have been more. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. To be honest, they put Maul in it because they need something big to put in it because they could tell that uh, they could tell that Han that the solo movie wasn't bringing in a lot of the fans. A lot of the fans were disenchanted and didn't really want to see it, so they needed to put something big in there so that when their fans started whispering, other fans would be like, "What the fuck? Are you serious?" As far as slowing down for the stupid people that aren't real Star Wars fans. I think we should put them in uh, a ghetto and maybe do something with them. You know, we're not slowing down for them. <laughs> okay, I just, I, 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 am, I am actually going to fight you on that, Troy. I, I really don't, I don't believe in being elitist about who's a star. Like, I've mm -hmm. never been this thing of like, you're not a real Star Wars fan if you don't watch the shows. I, I don't Wars. believe that. I don't believe that. And at that's all. fine, I, but you can go to, you can go to Wikipedia and say, oh, so that's what Maul's been up to. Half off at the mall, and then he survived because he hated Obi Wan. Cool. Yeah. That's fine. Look it up on Wikipedia. No, I get that. I, I will say I get that aspect because I do. One thing that I do like about Maul's cameo is that it did incentivize some people to then check out the shows, hopefully. Like, yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing that I like about it. But It's one thing if you're a small time director making something like Firefly and you expect people to read the comics. Fuck that. It's small bullshit. But this is Star Wars. This has been bit, built over decades some generations have had our canon cut out from under us and we've accepted it well some of us had there's still fanboys out there that 
still can't get over it and they're stupid. Don't slow down. You can read up. There's something called Wikipedia instead of Wikipedia. It's a big enough franchise to where you can do that. And it brings them into the comic books. Maybe they don't go back and read the, watch The Clone Wars because they think it's too long, but they will read the comic books and they will read articles. It builds your world a little more. And there are a lot of people that did find out about Maul and they were like, holy shit. And then they did do their research. And that's okay. No, and that that's the flip side. And I agree with that. That is the flip side. Is that I like the fact that it, it, it encouraged people to kind of go back and check it out. So I, I, I will say that. Yeah, I was blown away by Maul. When I was a kid in 1999, when that motherfucker killed Qui-Gon Jinn, I was blown away. And I was heartbroken when he was cut in half and thrown down that drain. And then I watched a little show called The Clone Wars when it was actually coming out. And I kept up with it. And I I was getting ready to stop watching The Clone Wars. I was like, this is really good, but it goes a little more into into the universe that I'm into. And then they previewed that Maul was coming back. And then Maul blew me away as a kid. He just blew me out of the waters. It was such a fabulous character, and I would like to see him come back in. I think maybe we'll see more of him in Obi-Wan. I don't know how this is going to work out, but they're trying to bring him back into the mainstream, and that excites me. I would love to see a Maul trilogy. I would love to see him show up in other characters' things so that we could see how mainstream he was because he was working behind the scenes just like his master taught him. I don't know. I'm happy with it. The whole point of Solo for me, it was fun, it was lovely, there's lots of man candy in there for me that I absolutely enjoy, but getting to Maul, getting to Maul at the end was the jelly filling in my donut. I eat the dough because I have to, but the jelly filling is what I wanted, and that few seconds of Maul made my heart flutter. It was a moment of pure joy. So that made the movie for me. There were some things that I did not like about the movie that I would have done different. The main thing was was the the Emphis Nest thing. I thought that was really stupid. But I forgave it all when I saw Maul. I was like, fuck this shit, that's Darth Maul. Y'all, I'm happy. Well, we know how simple I am. Maul was it for me. So I'm someone who has not seen the Clone Wars or Rebels or any of those shows or read any expanding universe books, comics, or anything. I'm aware of them, but I've not watched them. So I'm aware that in the show and the comics, Maul came back, but I don't know how or why because I haven't seen it. As someone who saw Maul show up again, I was excited because I think that's a story I want to hear. Because, again, I'm someone who is bored to death by Solo, but this is the most interesting thing. This is a story that I would love to see because... I think it's like, how did he survive getting chopped in half? How did they how did they do that? Like, I would love to see that. And I also think because of the Obi-Wan series, I don't know if they're doing this. This is leading this could lead to a rematch between Maul and Obi-Wan, which is something I would love to see because I think that would be awesome. There's emotional weight there. There's nostalgia for all of us who watch The Phantom Menace. I feel like that's something they could market the shit out of and be awesome. So, like, in terms of filling in the audience, like, I'm of multiple minds. On the one hand, I don't like feeling that we need to hold people's hands with storytelling all the time. But I also don't want think audiences should be left behind either. Because the reality is, 
if you're telling your story, but the only way to understand your story is to read other stories, you're not a very good storyteller, in my personal opinion. But I'm very excited to see what, if, well, I hope they do something with Maul later, just because as a character, I think he's fascinating. I mean, as in terms of Phantom Menace, he didn't really have a character, but I feel like other writers have really taken him and molded him into something great. I've been told his character arc on the Clone Wars and Rebels is incredible. And I would love to see that sometime. And I would love to see a future movie and what they could do with him, too. Yes, I, too, am interested in seeing what he does on Kenobi. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly wouldn't hold your breath for him showing up on Kenobi, but I I, I won't get into the reasons why. But anyway. Um, (laughs) Aw, man. I think we're going to see his death in live action. I, I don't think that they're going to retread something that they've already done, but I also don't, I, I don't want to say too much in case uh, Robin or anybody else ends up gay, but like, I, I just, I don't think they're going to do the same thing twice. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I don't care about spoilers, so that's fine with me. <laughs> All I will say is that Maul is a very, very, very angry man and actually angrier than you thought. <laughs> is that why he's so red? <laughs> you know what's funny is like with Maul, he was one of those characters who I actually was not a fan of the idea of, of him coming back because like my thing was like, look, if he can come back from being cut in half and tossed down a shaft, they could just bring any character back for any reason, which they did with Palpatine, but that's a whole other thing. But it's like you can't keep bringing characters back. <laughs> Back. but i think the reason it worked for me with maul was because maul was a c- completely non-character in phantom menace and they made him such an interesting character in clone wars and rebels that they actually did justify bringing him back even though even though i get it say it's like oh i don't know like why why or how like you said robin i don't know why or how he's back it's like I don't know how he's back. They barely fucking explained it on the shows, but, you know, they they, they did a good job of... I think the explanation is more or less, you know, man too angry to die. He's just sitting at the bottom He hated hated his way back, literally. Yeah. Um, It doesn't doesn't make sense. I I just imagine him, like, at the end of the shaft in Phantom... Like, he's just sitting at the bottom of the shaft, just like, Motherfucker! God! Just slowly climbing, and with every, like, oh, I hate that fucker. Oh, I hate that fucker. Oh, every that That's how he keeps going. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, God. Anyway, um, I think I think we've gotten into uh, we, we we've gotten into to mo- most of the the major points, but we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, overall thoughts. If there's anything that we feel we've missed, we can kind of add it here. But overall thoughts, and we'll score from one out of ten. You know, I'll go ahead and start. Why not? I usually don't start with this. I think that Solo is a really good movie. I think it's a very underrated movie. I think that it came out at the wrong time. I think that it came out only a few months after Last Jedi. And while there were, but like it, it, it should not, it should have been a December movie. Like all these other Star Wars movies have come out in December. I think that they would, I think they they didn't have enough time to really build up the hype train. A, there was a lot of controversy about Last Jedi, and I also just don't feel that you know we didn't have that year of getting to miss Star Wars. But we just had a Star Wars movie. Like we didn't have that kind of you know absence. We didn't have this absence letting the heart you know grow fond or whatever. Um, and there were just these other movies at the time. So, like, that's the reason why it wasn't really a financial success. I think that it would have done much better had they released it six months later in December. 
But I, I think it's a good movie. I really like all, all Nine Reichs on Solo. I love all the, love most of the characters. Like, Lando's great. Chewie's great. I do, I do actually, again, I, I know I was a little conflicted about it, but I do really enjoy the Darth Maul scene. I think that it, it was great to see that acknowledgement from the animated shows. Uh, it has some great action sequences. I love the Kessel Run. I thought the Kessel Run was a really cool sequence. Uh, so I'm overall, uh, I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10 for myself personally. So my, again, my big pro biggest problem with this movie is that it really bored me. I feel like Star Wars should never be boring. It's not the film I hate the most by any, like, that's Rise of Skywalker. I hate that piece of garbage. But Solo is just really forgettable for me. Like, again, I had tr I'm having trouble here just pulling what even happened in it. And I don't know why that is. But just for me, I think the characters while serviceable, were not unique enough to stand out from movies I've seen that have had similar characters. Like I said before, I think Han Solo as a character, I personally feel like his arc in A New Hope was a little bit ruined. I kind of feel like he as a character just didn't feel like the Han Solo I saw in the original trilogy. And something I didn't touch on before is the color palette was really, really dark and ugly in this, and I had a hard time seeing a lot of the movie. Like, I don't know why they made that choice, especially because the cinematographer is the one, the man who did Arrival, which is a gorgeous movie. So I don't know why that is, but I just, so much of the movie was hard to see. It was really dark and ugly. I do agree with Sam. The Kessel Run is gorgeous. I think it is probably the most, it's the most visually stunning scene in the whole movie and looks fantastic. And there are great moments. Like, I, there's a lot of things I like. I like Chewbacca. I enjoyed the mall reveal. I love the practical effects, the Kessel Run, good little exchanges with different characters. Like, I, Han and Chewie, again, I think this was a great start to their friendship, and I really feel like they developed their friendship well over this movie. It's just not a memorable Star Wars movie to me. Again, what I, from what I could see, it just didn't interest me very much. I think that's about all that I can think of. For me, I'd give it a 4 out of 10. I actually feel very similar to you, Sam. I thought it was a fun movie. I liked vast majority of the characters. L3, again, I actually like L3 herself fine. I just think the way her story was handled was a little odd. And, you know, it does bother me that Infos Nests are kind of non-entities and were not even strictly necessary for the plot at all. So they were cool, but they didn't need to be there. And they were an addition that no one was asking for because they're new characters. And they weren't impactful enough to be great new characters that everyone wanted to see later on and overall i thought it was a really fun movie a lot of great moments loved the kessel run got that whole sequence was gorgeous and just absolute fun on a bun uh liked the mall scene again i think the execution may have been a bit off but i do i do overall like the mall scene so as far as you know justifying itself it's a really fun movie and i had a great time watching it i also really like how the ending sets us up for Maybe not Solo 2, because you can also go from this to, you know, where we see Han later. But certainly more story. I definitely think that there is room for a new story based off of what they introduced in this film. Especially with Kira and Maul. I really want to see where their stories go. So, yeah, overall, again, really enjoyed it. I'm going to also give it an 8 out of 10. I was at a point when this movie came out that I was ready to pack up my Star Wars stuff and leave the franchise. I was so heartbroken. They ruined my heroes. The first two movies of the sequels were downers for me. The Force was missing in it. 
they took all of the heroes and they made them side characters. And it was just a downtime for me. And then I watched this movie. And it reminded me why I love Star Wars. For a standalone movie, this holds everything that the original trilogy had. It had the comedy. It had the adventure. It had the weird species. It had everything that made me fall in love with sci-fi. And it was, of course, done by Ron fucking Howard. It brought me back to my childhood, which is what Star Wars is supposed to do. Ultimately, Star Wars are made for the kids. And I'm glad that there's a sequel, and I'm sorry that I don't get it. And I'm sorry that I don't like the first two movies in it, because it hurts not liking Star Wars, because that is a big part of my childhood. But Solo restored my faith in these movies. Ron Howard came in, and he kicked ass in his execution. I think that the practicals are gorgeous. I think that the story... Even though there are parts that I don't accept, the story is strong. And I think the cast is fucking phenomenal. So it has become my second favorite Star Wars movie. And I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Great. Robin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'll go give you a chance to plug your own uh, uh, podcast as well. Sure. Thank you for having me. Um. So I do the Movie Addicts podcast, which you can find on YouTube as well as on Facebook. So yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah, I've been on a couple episodes of it, and it's 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 been a lot of fun. It's it's a really fun podcast as well. So definitely check it out, guys. I would like to thank you for being here because it was nice having someone with a contrasting idea. Because this would have just been us sucking Star Wars dick. So thank you for being yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> no. We- I, I love hearing. I love hearing just different contrasting views. I love. I love the discussions it brings up. I love that you know we can. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, I always love how it you know gives everyone a new perspective, a new way to look at it. Whether or not you liked it, whether or not you didn't like it, and it also helps helps open up you know like reasonable criticisms as well. It's like you know something that you hadn't thought of. Yes. That might be a problem and doesn't mean that people are necessarily going to love it less, but they're, you know, it does always help to like acknowledge, you know, flaws with media that you're, you know, watching. Yeah, completely agree. For far too long, the fans have been screaming at each other instead mm-hmm. of talking. And, and I like mm-hmm. this. We need this. We need to mm-hmm. be talking. Wasn't that the reason why we made this podcast, Troy? <laughs> uh, it that? is. It absolutely is. It's usually me and Sam opposites. Usually me and Sam opposites. It started when you and I were screaming about to each other about The Last Jedi. We're like, wait yes. a minute. <laughs> there has to be a better way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Zach, where can the folks find you? The folks can find me on Facebook as Zachariah Schneider. They can also find me on Twitter as Zachariah Schneider, specifically Zachariah Schne for Zachariah S C H N E four. You can usually find me on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. I'm real cheap, real cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but on Twitter and everything else, you can find me under Troy Hensley. I'm Sam Wilson. You can find me on Instagram at scwilson underscore actor. That's sc for cat, W-I-L-S-O-N underscore A-C-T-O-R. Um, I don't post all the time, but, you know, I'm there. 
You can follow my band Running Riot at Running Riot Bands on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow Nerd Shit at the Nerd Shit Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at the Nerd Shit on Twitter. Facebook is probably the best place to follow us because I'm not great about uh, updating the IG or Twitter. But I will say that all of the social medias have the link in the bio to the Spotify uh, where you can listen to all our episodes. And if you search uh, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio for Nerd Shit with an exclamation point, it should come up in those as well. So yes, find us on Spotify, Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. And we release episodes weekly. Uh, we have one episode of Game Shit out for Uncharted Drake's Fortune. And we have multiple episodes out for various movies and TV shows within the nerd pantheon. Upcoming next week, we're doing Batman 1989. We're going into one of the classics. Michael Keaton, Tim Burton, we're doing it. Sometimes I could just kill myself. Yes. <laughs> All right, no, Troy's too happy. No, we're not doing it. Never mind. I'm retracting it. Oh. We're now doing Transformers Dark of the Moon. You're welcome, guys. No. God damn it. <laughs> you sadist. <laughs> no, we're doing Batman 89. It's happening. All right. For, for Robin, Zach, and Troy, my name is Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. Stay <laughs> shitty, nerds. Nerd shit, nerd shit. So strap on in, girls, and talk about the nerd shit.